You're listening to the Alliant M&A Roundtable, providing insights and expertise on the unique risk management needs associated with private equity firms. Here is your host, Jonathan Gilbert. Welcome back, and thanks for joining again. We're now going to turn to Dan Schloss and Paul Cleveland, who are going to talk about the property and casualty insurance market and what we're seeing for private equity-owned companies across the United States and, and internationally. I'm going to start with Dan and ask just to give a quick overview of the current state of the property insurance market and some of the opportunities and challenges that we're seeing for various companies that are owned by private equity firms. Thanks, John. So for the past 18 months, we've been experiencing a hardening property market, which has largely been driven by catastrophic events such as wildfire, flood, hurricanes, freezing temperatures across Texas, and just general uncertainty with what's going on with the pandemic, BI losses, and things of that nature. Heading into the third quarter, the market is starting to stabilize slightly as carriers are looking for a way to reduce the volatility on their books. That being said, it's giving way to a two-tiered market, one for the more profitable, straightforward risks, light manufacturing, well-protected, sprinklered, low-hazard operations in low-risk catastrophic zones. You know, we are starting to see some more opportunity there where markets are looking for rates from flat to 10 to 15% increases. And the second tier, which is for the more challenging occupancies, which would include things like food processing, chemical manufacturing, unsprinkler locations, or cat-exposed properties. And there, we're still seeing a very hard market with rate increases looking as high as 25 to 30% upon renewals. And that's because there's a lot of markets right now that are dropping out of these areas and kind of constricting capacity within these areas. So we're seeing the, the markets that are staying in this looking for increased rates and tightening up terms and conditions across the board. And Paul, just to ask you a question as well on, on property insurance, you know, what do you see as the you know, reliant on risk engineering report, uh, risk control initiatives that portfolio companies are undertaking, and you know, how does that impact in uh, the underwriter's view of a risk? Yeah, no, thank you for, for having me. Good question. It's more in play than it's ever been in, in the property market. The risk control and engineering is a must. Uh, for most carriers, regardless of first-tier or second-tier risk, as Dan was mentioning, they want to see that the wrecks are completed, are addressed in a timely manner. And, and frankly, if surds are not uh, adhering to these wrecks, it's going to make it even more difficult. And even a good risk can be pushed into that second tier for, for some risk engineering issues if, if they are, whether it's low-hanging fruit or very difficult, expensive engineering reports. And Paul, just given your geography, how have the wildfires out west, you know, in California, and you've seen them exported to other states as well, like Colorado, impacted you know underwriters and you know certain risks, whether they're exposed to you know wildfire risk or, or not? Yeah, it's it's made it very challenging. Anything that's in a wildfire area or wildfire zone is going to be, without a doubt, a tier two, regardless of the fire protection that they might have. They could have great sprinkler systems and all that stuff, but just the mere fact that they're sitting in a in a wildfire zone makes it very challenging. Uh, what we're finding is from an underwriting standpoint is the carriers are reluctant to put up any significant rates. So more than likely, you're not going to find yourself with the opportunity to put together a ground up program 
It'll probably be in some sort of a quota and layered uh, program. You know, I think the most important thing is, and I guess this probably should have been brought up earlier, is we want to make sure in the property market, especially for the tough risk, that we get out early so we can address all these issues in a timely manner so we're not scrambling at the end. Appreciate that, Paul. That's helpful. I think a key takeaway is starting early uh, in the process, much like other lines of insurance, that it's just the reliance on technical underwriting at the insurance carriers has increased dramatically from you know, a year ago, five years ago. And so just being prepared and starting early uh, is critical at a minimum. Dan, just to turn back to you, what do you see as the average renewal rate in tier one category and the not so desirable tier two category you know, from insurance carriers in terms of renewal rate year over year? On the tier one risks, if you know they're really good, we're seeing rates from flat to 10 to 15 percent. If it checks off all those boxes that you know Paul kind of mentioned earlier, it's uh, it risk controls well. They've taken care of subjectivities, and it's a fairly low hazard class. On the tier two side, you know it really ranges, varying depending on class of business. It's it's kind of hard because there's not really a one size fits all approach with that, but. You know, for, for those two tier two classes, we're seeing increases 25 to 30 percent and even north of that for some of the tougher risks as you, know, you have to share and layer those programs, minimum premiums, reinsurance treaties are all coming into effect, facultative reinsurance, which has also taken a dramatic increase over the past year. You know, all these factors are driving those rates up on those tier two risks. Appreciate that, Dan. Let's hope for a, a quiet hurricane season as we're just approaching or just into the beginning of it this year, uh, and we'll be monitoring that you know, very closely. Uh, just shifting gears a little bit, why, why don't we shift to uh, primary casualty insurance, which for those listening would include workers' compensation, general liability, and auto liability insurance. And Paul Cleveland, just to turn to you, you know, what do you see as kind of the current state of the market for those lines of coverage? How does industry impact the you know, the view from an underwriting standpoint? If you can give us a few words on, on that, that'd be great. Okay, so the the auto market is still problematic. Uh, it's very challenging overall. We're, we're seeing anywhere between 10 to 20% rate increases, depending upon your loss history. A lot of it is being driven by the hired non-owned auto exposure that, that clients would have. Uh, there's more scrutiny over that risk. They're requiring uh, supplemental apps to be completed so that they, we can dig into the, the actual exposure. In addition, they want to make sure that the insureds have protocols in place for any uh, employees that are driving their vehicles on, on personal business to ensure that the employees have their own insurance and making sure that they have proper limits to accompany those uh, their insurance. Appreciate that, Paul. You know, Dan, you know, recognizing that the pandemic is still ongoing, you know, how has the, the COVID-19 continued to impact uh, insurers' view of risk? Have you seen any meaningful changes over the last six, nine, 12 months, given that we're still well in the pandemic? Uh, great question, John. And while there's still some uncertainty with what's going on with the pandemic, uh, I think what we found is hasn't dramatically changed a lot of the ways that the carriers are acting outside of putting some additional exclusions on policies that protect them against claims that arise out of communicable disease or things of that nature. You'd think the workers' compensation market would have taken a larger hit, but it's remained fairly stable throughout 
oftentimes insurers now are asking for a COVID-19 questionnaire, which is basically something saying, how are you protecting your employees? What preventative measures are being taken? And and that's before they even start underwriting the risk. So uh, I think we'll continue to see that on, on the workers' compensation side specifically. As I mentioned before, when we were talking about property, business income and business interruption continue to be a focus on how that could be affected from that front, whether it's supply chain issues, a shortage of workforce, or, or things of that nature. Yeah, Dan, that was great commentary relative to, to COVID-19. As we shift toward the excess liability market, what's the current state of that market? How do you see renewals progressing? How does it vary by industry? Love to give the listeners just a quick update on what you're seeing in that space. Sure. Uh, and last year was a, a really volatile year for excess liability. They were calling it a, a correction of the marketplace last year, where essentially underwriters were saying that you know, they were deploying too much capacity at too little rate. So there was a lot of adjustments in that marketplace last year, where a lot of times you were seeing you know, the rate increase and the capacity cut in half. We're seeing less of that this year. It looks like the correction has mostly taken place. So we're not seeing those huge increases year over year. However, there are still some industries, trucking and large fleets being one of them, that are still problematic as capacity has been greatly decreased in those areas. A number of markets have pulled out of that space altogether, which is constricting the capacity and bringing rates upwards. For large trucking fleets, it's still a challenge to fill out towers. Nobody wants to really get on the first $10 million of coverage because they're seeing nuclear verdicts you know, with these heavy vehicles on the roads. And, and that's where they foresee a lot of the risk. You know, that being said, you're having to break up the umbrella into smaller chunks and minimum premiums come into play. And those lines of coverage are getting more expensive, continue to get more expensive for those risks with heavy vehicles, trucks, things of that nature. Hopefully, we are seeing a few new markets that are putting their toe into the water. So hopefully that will start to stabilize soon. But as of now, we're, we're still seeing 10% increases in some instances, despite the big jump last year. Thanks, Dan. And Paul, g- given that I think a common theme you know, for both primary casualty and excess casualty seems to be, you know, a company's makeup relative to vehicle count, fleet size, certainly, as well as there's a lot of investment by private equity firms, including our client, into the transportation industry. You know, how important is the use of telematics in vehicles for, you know, one, just safety overall, and certainly for in the eyes of the underwriters and how they view risk of a particular portfolio company? Great question. It's very important. The more controls that you have in place, specifically with the auto, is going to be beneficial. Having people drive and not checking their insurance and making sure their license are valid and running MVRs, and uh, that's very much frowned upon these days. Dan mentioned it. There's a lot of uh, nuclear verdicts, 10, 20, 30 million dollar losses, especially in and in, in around the auto industry, whether you're a trucking company or a banking firm that has a salesperson that gets in an accident. Having controls in place is going to help us to, to get you the best deals and coverages uh, out there and open up the marketplace. Uh, like Dan said, There's a limited amount of carriers that are going to write these risks nowadays. So the more uh, that an insured is proactive from a risk management standpoint, the more opportunity they're going to have to have better terms, conditions, and pricing. Appreciate that, Paul. 
Dan, and then, you know, Paul, love to get your comments here, here as well. Uh, you know, in terms of you know, private equity firms, a, a lot of times, and a lot of our clients have the buying power equal to that of a Fortune 100 or 500 company based on the premium spend. How have you seen and, and how, how are we structured differently and, and how can firms go further to you know, leverage that buying power into the marketplace to you know, maintain individual coverage for the portfolio companies, but really leverage the spend across the you know, portfolio, which may be you know, 10, 15, 20 companies or more? I'll take that one. Um, so just to start off, all of the you know, private equity M&A business goes through Paul and myself, uh, which makes us a bit unique from some of the other insurance brokers out there. It enables us to employ a number of tactics that are helpful in getting the best terms and conditions in the marketplace. Uh, and one of them uh, certainly is aggregating and leveraging risk wherever possible, whether that's through common effective dates, common insurance carriers, or master insurance programs for lines like property or product recall. Uh, we can take advantage of economies of scale and push the insurance markets to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do to get better terms and conditions and lower rates. Thanks, Dan. Well, thank you all for listening today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to a line M&A, a quarterly update on the state of the market. We work with private equity firms nationwide and hundreds of portfolio companies. Uh, we're a team over 50 people nationwide and continue to be a leader in the private equity community. So we appreciate you, you taking time to listen to uh, what we see is going on in the marketplace. And for more information, please visit www.alliance.com. 